Pastor Carlos Hernandez from The Rock. Thank you, bud. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm on. All right. Great. Everybody can hear me well? All right. I don't know how that happened, brother, but somebody turned that on. It was the Holy Ghost. Must have knew. Man, it's good to see you guys. I'm always blessed to be, a, be here with you at Journey Church. This is an incredible church. I see you serving. I see you growing. I see you moving and shaking and doing great things. So I just want to give you a hand. Can you give your, yourselves a hand this morning? It's encouraging to me. I get the privilege of, of, of uh, being Ken's friend, who is an incredible uh, encouragement to me. As a brother in Christ uh, who holds me accountable to love the Lord and, and go hard after him. We all need that in our lives, right? Your pastor has that and your pastor helps me in that. And, and as, your, as a presbyter in our area, I encourage you to continue to pray for him extra as he helps pastors, right? And encourages churches and so forth. It's just a blessing and you have a great pastor. Can we give him a hand today and thank God for him? Um, I pastor the Rock Church, and I'm there uh, with my lovely family. I got three girls and my wife, all hair, a lot of hair everywhere, everywhere, right? Beautiful hair. My wife is here with me, Miss Rebecca. She's here with me. And Mia is running around somewhere with Kate, and my two other girls are serving at home, so they couldn't be here with us today. So today, what I, what I like to do is I like to chat with you. So I was praying for you, by the way. I, I believe that... The, that the most important thing is for us to encounter the Holy Spirit when we get together. I believe strongly that the Holy Spirit is already here and that he is already at work in each and every one of your lives. And so as I prayed, I said, God, what are you doing in the life of Journey? What are you doing in the life of, of, of the people of Journey? And I pray that today we would encounter the Holy Spirit in such a way that we receive the breakthrough we've been seeking him for. Amen? Can I get an Amen. So that's my desire today, and the Lord let me to share with you a word from Daniel. If you go with me to Daniel chapter 1, I want to talk to you about what to do in times of crisis. What to do in times of crisis. Now, crisis is inevitable, right? We all, as humans, will go through crisis at one point or another in our lives, probably more than one time. How many of us were alive and aware when 9-11 happened? Would you raise your hand? How many of you remember exactly where you were? Yeah. I was at chapel at Southeastern University, and Dr. Mark Rutland stepped up to the pulpit and said, the United States of America has just suffered the greatest attack since Pearl Harbor. I, I didn't know what to do with that information. I hadn't watched the news I didn't know how to process all that. When I got into the room and started to see what took place, I was shook to the core. The idea that the United States of America, that to me in my mind was completely unpenetrable, was penetrated by a foreign enemy, I, di I didn't know what to do with that information. Now most of us, all of us, were alive during the pandemic. We went through the highs and the lows of the pandemic. We realize that crisis and global crisis can happen at any given moment. Imagine being Ukrainian today and knowing that when this is over, you're not going back to the same place. So crisis is constantly happening at a global level, but crisis also happens at a personal level. Things that come to our lives, 
that we didn't invite, we didn't ask for, and they are unwelcome. And that's the deal about crisis. It's unwelcome. One of the things that I realize about crisis is that I oftentimes don't know what kind of crisis is going to come my way, and I don't know, I don't know what to expect, and I don't know how to deal with it. It's just the truth. Sometimes it comes in the form of diagnosis to ourselves or our loved ones, maybe a sickness or a, a disease. We, we find out that there's something wrong with us, and, and now we have to pivot. Maybe it comes in the form of a mental health challenge that is crippling us, anxiety that all of a sudden visits us, uninvited, unwelcomed, and now we have to deal with. Maybe it comes in the form of loved ones walking away from the Lord, our children and our loved ones that we prayed for now not serving the Lord. Maybe it comes in the form of, of a failed business or endeavor that you set out to do. You were so hopeful and excited and things just fell apart. Maybe crisis will come in the form of failed relationships or a failed marriage or a loss. The thing is, my friends, is that we're, if we're alive, we're going to go through crisis. It will happen. So what should we do when that time comes? What do we do when it seems like all hell has broken loose and crisis has come unwelcome? Well, I believe that when we read the text that we find in Daniel chapter 1 that we get some nuggets some, some insights in how to deal with crisis when it comes. And my prayer, my friends, is that you guys are all celebrating a joyous, wonderful, victorious season without crisis. But if you're here today, pray that you would hear that God is with you and that God would encourage you. And that when the time comes of the visit, the crisis visits, that you would know that you're not alone. Amen? You're not alone. So let's read Daniel chapter 1, beginning there, verse 1. Scripture reads, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, took it over. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenath, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Highlight that verse. That verse is key in understanding the entire book of Daniel. Okay? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and his, he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but 
But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men in your, your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the official uh, had appointed over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please tell your servants for 10 days. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Somebody say, oh no. <laughs> to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. Wow, come on, say it with me, ten times Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That is about, that means that Daniel served for at least three entire kingdoms. It's powerful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to receive your word today. All of us are desperate and hungry for you. You are the God of revelation, and we pray for your anointing, not only to declare it, but to receive your word today. From our brothers and sisters who are going through crisis right now, that you would strengthen them right now, encourage them right now. For those of us who are not, prepare us, Lord. We entrust this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Keep in the back of your mind throughout all that you will hear that God is at work. God is at work. Keep it in the background of your mind that through everything that Daniel goes through and everything that you go through, God is at work. But I want us to understand what Daniel must have felt like or what he was going through or how he saw it through his eyes. Here is Daniel, a teenager and probably barely a teenager who was a servant of God, who loved God, who was now going through this incredible crisis. But Daniel was from Judah, and Judah were the people of God. It's not just Israel, but it's Judah. Judah where Jerusalem is, the city of God. Judah where the Ark of the Covenant is, which means that God's presence is there. Judah where King David dwelled, right? All of these incredible stories of the people of God. And so they had a lot to celebrate. And the people from Judah were very proud of the fact that they were God's people. They would talk about it. They would celebrate it. They would tell each other, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. The temple of God is with us. The presence of God is with us. Peace to us. Shalom, shalom. We are the people of God. But Judah 
was not consistent in her devotion to God. Ebbed and flowed, ebbed and flowed, and walked away from the Lord. And eventually, there were prophets who would come and say, hey, stop saying shalom, shalom. Stop declaring peace. Stop boasting of the fact that we are God's people and that we have his presence. Jeremiah would say, stop saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Repent of your sins. And he said, and he said, and if you repent of your sins, maybe God will relent from the judgment that he's already sending our way. Well, the judgment had come. And Judah was now taken over by a national superpower called Babylon. And here is Daniel and the rest of these, the nation, heading now to a whole new reality. And my friends, it would be as drastic and as traumatic as if the United States was taken over by another nation. Just want you to think about what that would do to you if your world were to change that way. Your practices, your religion, your freedom. And Babylon was no scrub. King Nebuchadnezzar was no scrub. He was a genius in takeover. He would go into these countries and he would say, all right, now give me their best. They're young and they're best. Handsome people, intelligent people, people that I can pour myself into. I want to treat them like kings. I'm going to give them my best. I'm going to gain their loyalty so that they can train their people to be loyal to me. That's the reality that Daniel found himself in. As he was about to be trained to become a true Babylonian. What do we see in this scripture that may teach us about crisis and how we ought to deal with it? What did Daniel do that may give us some insights? Well, let me just say this first thing. The first thing that I see Daniel doing in the midst of this crisis is that he accepted his new reality. Daniel accepted his new reality. Throughout this crisis, we see that Daniel did not fight the wrong fight, and that is key in handling crisis. He wisely didn't fight against his captors. He knew that fighting against Babylon was an idiot mistake. He didn't fight that fight. That was the wrong fight. He wisely didn't fight against his new name. They gave him a new name, Belteshazzar. He didn't fight against that name. We don't see any argument in Scripture that he fought against his name. He knew that would be the wrong fight, and he would be dying on the wrong hill. He wisely carried himself with honor and respect towards his new authority. He didn't like the Babylonians. They were pagan. They were godless. They were immoral. And yet he knew that they were the new authority, and he needed to be respectful. All of these hills could have been hills to die on for Daniel. But instead, he accepted these things were a part of his new reality. He knew they were the wrong fight. And he knew that if he fought the wrong fight, he wouldn't have strength to fight the right one. It reminds me so much of Jesus. It reminds me of how Jesus, when he was led to his captors, when he was led to the cross, how often they abused him and insulted him. How Judas, his own disciple, kissed him and betrayed him. And he didn't fight against any of the things that were planned during that dark hour. A dark hour that didn't just happen, but a dark hour that happened to him. 
I believe that one of the things that you and I need to do and learn from Daniel and from Scripture when it comes to how to handle crisis, that when crisis comes, you and I need to accept that crisis is here. We just have to accept it. Sometimes we may get a diagnosis of a real sickness that we're dealing with. The first step to deal with is accept this is a crisis. We may be going through a failed business venture. We have to accept this is a crisis. Maybe there's a failed relationship or a failed marriage or whatever it may be that you're dealing with, but you have to allow yourself permission to accept, I'm going through a crisis. One of the things that we need to do when crisis barges in is not to put the fake facade and do this thing that I, I hate this saying. It's one of my pet peeves when I hear it. Fake it till you make it. People don't fake it till they make it. They fake it till they bail out. Right? Or till their faith is completely dead. It's important that we learn to accept, hey, I'm going to a crisis. It's very real. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 13, David speaking. Why, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will I wrestle with thoughts in my, heart, uh, thoughts in my mind and sorrow in my heart? Answer me or I'll sleep the sleep of death. My enemy will overcome me. I love those honest conversations. And church, I would say that you and I need to learn to have honest conversations. So that if you're going through a crisis and I ask you, how are you doing, you don't say the crazy Christianese stuff that we say that makes us look weird. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I can't complain. God is so good. I'm going from glory to glory to glory, just climbing up. <laughs> okay, God bless you. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's not human. It's not human. Accept that sometimes you will go through a crisis. We have to accept that we have crisis. We have to accept that we have things that don't work out. And listen, brothers and sisters, accepting doesn't mean that we're okay with it. it accepting doesn't mean that we're just going to sit back and let it happen. Accepting means that we're not in denial anymore, that we won't be in denial. And accepting means that we're going to take the step of faith to pivot and turn to God amid our crisis, in the middle of our crisis. Accepting means that we're aware that we need God to intervene, that we need to position ourselves rightly and wait for him to move. See, Daniel accepted his crisis, and I think that was the beginning of God doing incredible things through his life. But maybe, let me just leave you with a question at that point. Maybe God's asking you to take the step of faith to accept that you're going through a crisis and give yourself room to grieve, to mourn, to seek him in your crisis. The second thing I see Daniel do is that Daniel stood up for his convictions. Through God's strength, Daniel did not let go of his faith in the middle of what he was going through. He held on to God. The key verse in this passage is that he chose not to defile himself with the king's food, and that he asked for permission. Both of those things are, are key here. And I want you to see here that what Daniel was given was something really good. It wasn't like they were giving Daniel really bad food. No, they brought out the filet mignon for that brother, right? Food was being brought out that was very desirable. 
He was going to be treated like royalty. He was being treated like royalty. But Daniel had a passion, a focus in his mind. How can I live for God in my crisis? How can I honor God in my new reality? How can I show to this pagan world that I can be respectful and honorable, but I will be submitted to my God? And Daniel chose that he would eat vegetables. Jesus, save me. <laughs> you know, there are just things that you're just like, I was, I was with you, pastor, but then you said that. And like, you preach past your altar call, right? He chose that he would eat vegetables and eat nothing else. And notice, it wasn't a choice that was just his decision to make. He had to go ask for permission, and he asked for permission reverently. And notice God was at work because God says that he gave the guard favor. He gave, uh, in the eyes of the guard, he gave Daniel favor. So Daniel already had gained favor uh, with his guard. And his guard said, you know, Daniel, you want to just eat vegetables. Listen, you my dude. You know you might pound it. Come on. Bro, I'm not trying to die. (laughs) I do anything. I'm trying to live. You know, I do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? Like, right? That, was, that was what he said. But Daniel said, you know, test us for 10 days and see what happens. Test us for 10 days. When crisis comes, we ought to be like Daniel. And we ought to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do amidst this crisis that shows that I am devoted to you? Maybe you're going through a crisis. I want you to write this down on your journal. The question that you need to ask God at this moment is not why, why am I going through this, but rather you ought to say, Lord, how do I serve you in this? Pastor Stan Tharp would say, we ask the wrong question. Oftentimes we ask, why, God? But we should ask, now what? Now what? So your now what is, God, amidst this situation that I'm going through, how do I serve you? What do you desire from me? How can I show that I am fully devoted to you? I was talking to a dear friend of mine, and he's a friend of yours. You support him as a missionary. His name is Zach, and Zach Mobius. And he said to me, you know, Los, I've come aware uh, about the calling of God in my life and the calling of God in your life and in our lives. And that's this, comfort is not the compass for God's will in our lives. Comfort is not the compass for God's will in our lives. In the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your life, in the middle of your situation, God is calling you to operate in conviction. I want you to ask yourself, what's the step of faith that God's calling you to take at work? What's the step of faith that you need to take in your marriage at home? What's the step of faith that you need to take this summer, young people, or, or at school as you head to school in just a month from now? God is calling us to be people who operate under conviction even when it's hard, hard even when it hurts, even when we suffer. You know, there's this verse in the Bible that's absolutely horrifying. Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I haven't seen that at a Hallmark yet, in a Hallmark card. <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas. Here you go. Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered. You don't see that. To think that the Son of God, perfect in all his ways, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. 
there is a slight chance. Shot in the dark here. That maybe you and I have things to learn through our suffering. I don't know. Just maybe if Jesus had to learn some things through suffering, maybe there's a possibility that we're not better than our teacher. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I walking in conviction? Are the things that God's calling me to do, even right now in the midst of my crisis, what's the step of faith that God desires for me at this moment? Maybe that step of faith is praying for healing coming to the elders of the church just like today and receiving prayer. Maybe that step of faith is going to the doctors and getting the medicine that you need. Maybe the step of faith is going to see a counselor for the sake of your marriage. Maybe that step of faith is talking to somebody who's going to walk you through your budget. Maybe that step of faith is finding out what the definition of budget is. I don't know where you're at, and I'm not throwing stones. I'm with you. There are steps of faith amidst your crisis that you can take that will honor God. So Daniel accepted his crisis. He accepted the new reality. He operated in conviction. And lastly, Daniel entrusted the outcomes to God. He entrusted the outcomes to God. I see a young teenager crying and weeping. Why, God? How could you let this happen to Judah? Look, they destroyed your temple. Look at what they've done with the Ark of the Covenant. Look at what they're doing. How is this possible? But God, who am I to judge your ways? I have faith, and I know that Babylon is not greater than you, so somehow, some way. There's a way that I ought to seek you in the middle of this. And so I'm crying to you because I don't understand it. I'm crying to you because I don't like it. No, I'm crying to you because I hate it. And I don't understand how this gives you the glory. But I still want to be yielded to you. Just show me how to be yielded to you. Day after day, crying out to God. Crying out to God. And as he just submitted himself to God completely not knowing what to do, here came the moment where he was going to be served a juicy, delicious steak. And at that moment, Daniel said, this is the way that I will serve you. I'm just going to take a step of faith. This is the way that I'm going to serve you. And he asked for permission, right? And notice the incredible things that God did. But before we look at what God did, I want you to just, sometimes we just read it and we think that Daniel just knew exactly what to do. May I suggest to you that there was a wrestling just like there's a wrestling in you when you seek God's perfect will for your life? And may I suggest to you that Daniel knew that he was not in control and that he didn't know what was going to take place? Because he said, just test me for 10 days. Test us for 10 days. I see Daniel saying, you know what, I'm going to ask him to test us for 10 days. And if it doesn't work then this is the wrong hill, and I'm going to eat this just like I accepted my name, just like I accepted this reality, and I'll just do whatever. But I'm going to take a step of faith and see what you do because I have no idea what you're doing, but I trust you. Right? And he did that. And he trusted God. And God blessed Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
the incredible things that you will read that God did through these individuals in the book of Daniel. It's overwhelming to the point that even the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar turned to God. That is incredible. That is much greater than the heart of Putin turning to God. Much greater. Russia is like a toenail compared, that's been cut off compared to Babylon. You understand what I'm saying? And the heart of that king was turned to God. Daniel knew that the outcomes did not belong to him, that they belonged to God. You and I said yes to Jesus. And when we said yes to Jesus, it's not because we said, you know, God, we want to control the outcomes. We didn't say yes to Jesus because we said if we say yes to Jesus and we go to church and we give to the right stuff and we say the right stuff and we read the right stuff, the wrong stuff will never happen to us. We will never go through crisis. We will never go through suffering. That's why I go to church and I serve Jesus because it saves us and protects us from all the bad things that could happen. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, the gospel of Jesus Christ says take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Jesus doesn't promise that he will keep us from suffering and from crisis. He promises that he will be with us in suffering and in crisis. And Paul said that it was so important, that it's so imperative in the life of believers to know Jesus in suffering. He says that I may know him in the fellowship of suffering. Fellowship as if there's something intimate to know about God that we can only understand when we go through crisis. We pray not because we can control God. We pray not because God is a form of voodoo doll that if we do the certain things and say the right things and the right outcomes would take place. No. We pray because He is God. And we want to be yielded. And we want to make room for whatever He wants to do through whatever we're going through. Because we believe that the crisis will not be the end but that the end will be all for the glory of God. So to close today, I want to tell you a story of a Thomas Hawker, 1555 England. Incredible man of God who was thrown in prison because of his faith in Jesus, and he was going to be burned at the stake. While he was in prison, about to be burned at the stake, his friend said to him, Thomas, I have to know. I have to know. They say that God gives extra strength to those or, or that he, he gives them at least the ability to endure what they go through when they are being burned at the stake for those who stand up for his name. When, when you're burned at the stake today and we're all watching, would you give us a sign to let us know that God has strengthened you to endure that? Would you just raise your hand and let us know? And there was Thomas being burned at the stake, being burnt to a crisp, looking completely irresponsive, and everybody's looking, waiting, hoping, and when hope waned, all of a sudden, Thomas did this. And revival broke out in that prison. Would you stand with me right now? You see, Thomas lost his life. And in that 
in the eyes of, of the world may be an utter failure. But the glory that God received through Tom's obedience to him. Can you imagine the heavens when Thomas got there? Can you imagine the shouts and the clapping and the celebration? The way to go. The smile on Jesus' face. Enter into my kingdom. Into your rest, my good and faithful servant. God is in the middle of your crisis and your storm. He's in the middle of it. Accept it. Pivot. Trust him in it. Operate in conviction and trust them with the outcomes and see the glory of God do a new thing. Amen. I'd like to pray for you. If you close your eyes with me, if you feel the freedom to do so. Maybe you're here and, and you realize, man, I haven't been, I'm going through something and I just haven't accepted it. I want to accept that I'm going through a crisis right now. And instead of becoming bitter and trying to fake it till I make it, I want to welcome God and say, God, I need your help. I'm struggling. If that's you, raise your hand right where you're at. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have just raised their hands. I thank you, God, that the psalm does not end with David saying, I will sleep the sleep of death. It ends with him saying, but I will trust in the Lord, for you have been good to me. And Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus for my brothers and sisters who have raised their hands. I pray for encouragement, oh God. I pray for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to lift up their spirits right now, that they would know that they have been called to hope, living hope. And that the end of their story will not be this crisis. It will be your glory because you will be glorified through their lives. You will have a testimony through this. Hang on. God is in control. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for your healing. There, will be those, there are those here who have never allowed themselves to grieve in a healthy way. They've turned to alcohol or to binge watch or to entertainment or whatever it may be. But today they say, I'm turning to you, Jesus. With my crisis and my heartbreak, I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord. You're a healing God. You're a healing God. Thank you, Father, for hope. Oh, make our hearts pregnant with hope. Oh, Lord God, thank you for joy. Restore joy again to your church. And first love, oh God, to your people. You are with them. In Jesus' name, I bless you in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and the Lord is, is just quickening your step. He's challenging you. He's saying, you know what? He's whispering to you. I've been waiting for you to operate in the convictions that I've given you. I've been calling you to stand up and trust me. There are things that I've called you to do. There are things that I have for you this year. And I'm inviting you to follow my lead and take a step of faith and trust me. That's you today, right where you're at. Would you raise your hand? Right where you're at. Amen. Amen. Lord, we raise our hands to you and we declare, we know that comfort is not the compass for your will in our lives. And we pray right now 
for the power of the Holy Spirit. I love it that when Peter was suffered and, and he went through everything that he went through, he just prayed, God, just make me bold to be your witness. And you baptized him in your Holy Spirit. And right now, for my brothers and sisters who raised their hands, I pray for a fresh baptism in your Holy Spirit right now. Because a baptism in the Holy Spirit is for power to witness. And Lord, I thank you, God, that they would walk in conviction. Lord, whatever those steps may be for their home, for their business, for their marriages, for their children, for their schools, Lord God, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that they will say yes to operating in conviction, saying yes to your will. Bless them, O oh God. Thank you that you have already shown them favor and that you will show them favor, that you're at work, God, in the places where you want them to step in faith. I bless you. I declare God, in the name of Jesus, that you're in control. Thank you, Lord. And lastly, I'd like to encourage you, all of you, to raise your hand. All of us, let's raise our hands before the Lord. Would you pray in your own words, Holy Spirit, teach us to trust you with outcomes. Teach us, oh God, that you're in control and that you can be trusted. Convince your church of your goodness because you're good. If you did mighty things through Daniel, you can do mighty things through Journey Church. And you will do mighty things through Journey Church. Imagine, imagine, imagine if you and I committed to be like Daniel. The mighty works that God will do in this city. Oh God, do it through us, oh God. Do it through us, oh God. And now as we close, would you just pray the first part of the Lord's Prayer that Pastor Ken led us in today as we say, Lord, yours are the outcomes. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. God will get the glory. He will get the glory. One way or the other, he's going to get the glory. So we might as well be in alignment with him. Amen? Amen.